Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This weekly radio program is brought to you by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We now invite you to stay tuned for our message this morning. Welcome, dear listening friends, to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. You're tuned into this radio ministry that is brought to you by myself, Elder Joe Nettles, and also by Elder David Wise. I pastor Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church located at 40283 Wolf Road in Caledonia, Mississippi. And Brother David pastors Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, which is located at 11 Staten Road, just north of Ackerman on Highway 15. Both of our churches meet at 10.30 a.m. every Sunday morning. And we also meet together uh, near the campus of Mississippi State University. We have been meeting at the La Quinta Inn Conference Room at 6 p.m. every Wednesday night. And we will continue to do that throughout the month of February. But beginning in March, we'll continue meeting uh, on the grounds of New Covenant Church on Garrard Road, in Starkville, Mississippi. Very easy to find. Uh, we'll have you the specific uh, GPS address uh, very shortly, but uh, be looking for that and come and see us and visit with us if you will. Go to gospel-of-grace.com and you can find all the schedules, uh, a church locator, frequently asked questions, and archived messages. And uh, today we're going to continue on from Zechariah chapter 4. Today we have a message regarding by the might and the power and the spirit of the Lord. And we hope and pray that you'll stay with us. And after this hymn, we'll be right back with today's message. Thank you so much for staying tuned with us here at the Gospel of Grace Radio Broadcast. Again, I'm Elder Joe Nettles. And turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Zechariah chapter 4. 
And we are speaking about this prophecy in Zechariah chapter 4, which gives a blessed assurance in the symbolism and in the prophecy of this chapter. An assurance of what? An assurance that the Lord has finished his work and that his house or his ecclesia, his church, his called out people of every kindred nation, people and tongue of both Old Testament and New Testament, before the flood, after the flood, uh, slain or miscarried from the womb or whether they uh, were regenerated of the Holy Spirit of God right before they drew their final breath in a nursing home, whatever the case may be, the Lord will have his children. He will complete his household. And we will read a few verses, verses 1 through 7 of Zechariah chapter 4, and uh, try to carry on with this series this morning. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1. And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep, and said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Let's stop right there. What I want to deal with today, Lord being my helper, is the phrase we find in verse 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. That was the message of God unto these Jews as they were striving against all odds to rebuild the temple and the gates thereof eventually. And against all odds, they did this thing. This entire temple building uh, process was a way of God revealing unto them his manifest power and a greater fulfillment, a greater finishing, a greater completion of his building in the future. Now, just to summarize our last message briefly, we looked at some of the symbolism in this chapter. We won't get deeply into the symbolism again. We won't apply it until probably future messages, messages but just as a reminder, the candlestick or the lampstand and the temple... Uh, revealed to us the church. They're symbolic of the church. The oil that we find so uh, at the forefront of this prophecy is a picture of spiritual revelation and power. And the headstone should obviously point us to the concept of the completion of the house. You know, when I die one day and I'm buried in the ground, they'll put a headstone at my head. Not only will it be probably at the head of my grave, but it will be the capstone, as it were. It will be the stone that represents the end of my mortal frame of my temporal life. Well, a headstone in a building in that day was the final stone. It was the completion, the culmination of all of the house building work and labor. So as we read this, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. He's showing us that all facets of this temple building manifested the inability of man 
but the power of God that was necessary to fulfill the household of God. I hope now in the remaining time that we have to be able to give you a review of scriptural history regarding this temple building process, the rebuilding of the temple, how the Lord, his providence, his power, uh, his working among his children, paving the way, providing what was necessary, holding off the treacherous efforts of the enemies and the foes. Friends, we see God's manifest power in all of this, and we hope to be able to bring that to your mind today so that you might be able to rejoice in it. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, what a joy it is to know that this prophecy that pointed to that final work of salvation in Jesus Christ pertains to you. That's exciting to me. So let's look at some history here. Well, we know that God was intimately involved in all of this situation because let's go back to the prophecy of the destruction of the temple. That's the destruction of Solomon's temple that was at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. So we see that God prophesied this. He gave us insight into this long before it happened. Uh, we go to Jeremiah chapter seven, verse four, and notice uh, this was still during the days of the kings. This was not uh, during the time when Nebuchadnezzar had approached unto Judea yet. But in Jeremiah chapter seven, verse four, we read, trust ye not in lying words, saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. See, Jeremiah is condemning them for uh, living and behaving in scurrilous and scandalous ways. And yet the whole time they're saying, well, certainly our place, our situation is secure because look, we have the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. But he goes on in verses 13 through 15, a little further down and says, and now because ye have done all these works, saith the Lord, and I spake unto you, rising up early and speaking, but ye heard not, I called you but ye answered not. Therefore will I do unto this house, which is called by my name, he's talking about the temple, wherein ye trust, and unto the place which I gave to you and to your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out all your brethren, even the whole seed of Ephraim. What had happened in Shiloh and at Ephraim, they had been subjugated by the Assyrians, uh, later the Babylonians, he said, they have lost their heritage. They have lost their identity. They have been destroyed and decimated. He said, the same thing is going to happen to you and to this temple. So someone will say, well, that sounds dreadful, Brother Joe. And it was dreadful. But also at the same time, the Lord also knew that he was uh, providing for them a promised preservation as a people, that the destroying of their land and the temple was not going to be the end of it. In spite of all their rebelliousness, in spite of all their wickedness, God would be true to his covenant and his promise to his people. So let's look at this promised preservation. Go to Jeremiah chapter 32, and we're going to read verses 35 through 42. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Here he's giving, giving a condemnation of the, of the Jews, a condemnation of the children of Israel for their wickednesses and their heathen, uh, pagan uh, exercise in this uh, land in which they were supposed to be sanctified to the glory of Almighty God. He said, they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire unto Molech, 
which I commanded them not, neither came it into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. And now, therefore, thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city, whereof ye say, it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries whither I have driven them in mine anger. You see what he's saying here? God is saying, be assured that this is not an utter end to this temporal nation, my people of the Jews. He said, I will gather them out of all countries whither I've driven them in mine anger and in my fury and in great wrath, and I will bring them again unto this place. I will cause them to dwell safely. They shall be my people. I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good. And I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. For thus saith the Lord, like as I have brought all this great evil upon this people, so will I bring them all the good that I have promised them. In spite of sending their children as living sacrifices into the fire under the false heathen God of Molech, in spite of all those things, God takes his covenant promises so seriously that he gave them this wonderful a promise of assurance and of preservation. Notice a little later, notice how intimately God is involved in this situation because the children of Israel, they were a people, they were destroyed, the temple was destroyed, they fell into subjugation, they were taken away unto Babylon as we have just discussed. But after their captivity of 70 years, God had also given them prophecy and assurance and comfort and strength in knowing that there was going to be a time of release. Now, God was so certain about this that he called the very king's name that would do it even before the man was even born. Notice, he called the name of King Cyrus, that great Persian king, Cyrus, who would release them to return. And this prophecy we're about to read from Isaiah chapter 45 was 150 years prior to his rise to power. But yet here his name is declared. We start reading in Isaiah chapter 45 verses one through six we'll read. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. See, he calls his name. This was long before Cyrus was even born. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I've holden to subdue nations before him. And I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. What's he talking about opening the two-leaved gates? There is a prophecy of how the Medeans and the Persians would rise up and conquer uh, the Babylonians. He said, I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. I'll tell you, if his name is able to be declared, his person was known, uh, his lineage was already known before this man was born, before there was any knowledge of man regarding it, surely it was of the Lord. I have called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. 
I am the Lord, there's none else. There's no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. So yes, we see the Lord's omniscience at work here that he is able to declare the very name of Cyrus. But my friends, I want you to know it wasn't just the Lord's omniscience that Cyrus would release his people. It was his decree. It was his will and his desire. And we see this manifestly because 150 years had to transpire before Cyrus's time to rise to power. But we see our God, the Jehovah God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob active in preserving this people until Cyrus would come and do this great work of releasing them to return from their captivity and begin going back into the land of promise. <clears throat> we notice this in the deliverance of Queen Esther. Look in the Old Testament at the book of Esther. We're not going to turn there today, but I want to give you a quick summation of how you can see the Lord's working so manifestly in the life of Esther, Mordecai, uh, and Haman, and the children of Israel in that day. Someone may protest and they say, uh, Brother Joe, the name of God is not declared in the book of Esther. Well, my friends, there are times when you write the name of God. There are times when you speak the name of God. But my friends, there's also times when God has made his name, his power, and his presence so very well known in just the miracles and in his providence, which he has worked before men. And Esther is a testament to that. The Lord of heaven, his name doesn't need to be spoken by the lips of mortal men because he has declared his power and his working among men. Oh, my friends, his hand cannot be stayed uh, that all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And here he shows this in the book of Esther. In the book of Esther, we see Esther rising as queen. Why? Because uh, the king had behaved, Ahasuerus had behaved foolishly with his previous queen. And here he Esther was raised up to be queen. She had an uncle named Mordecai. Now, unbeknownst to the king who chose her as his bride, Esther was a Jew. And her uncle Mordecai was also a Jew. Now, Mordecai had heard an assassination plot. And Mordecai, doing what is good and faithful and just, and that is giving respect and honor unto dominion, he reported this assassination plot, and it was foiled, and the king was saved. And Mordecai didn't cry out for reward. No, Mordecai just continued to live the godly life that he lived as a slave servant under this king. And we see a wicked man named Haman come up who hated Mordecai because Mordecai would not bow down and give him reverence. So Haman hated him and by extension hated all of his people. And Haman plotted to destroy the Jews and obtain permission from the king who was, <clears throat> I guess, lackadaisical in his diligence and gave him his ring that a declaration could be made that at a certain time, all of the Jews could be destroyed, set upon and destroyed with reckless abandon. Well, this greatly disturbed Mordecai. Mordecai came to Esther and craved her assistance in helping the children of Israel, the Jews in that day. But he also proclaimed that if deliverance will not rise from thee, deliverance shall arise from another place. He had confidence that the Lord would preserve his people and preserve his people he did. Esther 
came before the king. She was allowed of the king, even though she was never supposed to come before the king until uh, she was summoned. She came before the king and the king showed her grace in extending the golden scepter and beckoning her unto him, called her unto him. And she went and expressed that her desire was to give a supper unto the king and to Haman. Well, this greatly thrilled Haman. Well, they went to this supper the king and Haman, but yet they didn't dine that night. Esther asked again, will you come tomorrow again for another supper? And this was very odd. We may find it very odd, but my friends, God works in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. We don't really know exactly why Esther desired them to come back for another supper the next night, but all I can say is, again, God moves in a mysterious way. Thank you, Lord. Maybe she was afraid. Maybe the Lord gave her a sense of reservation. I don't know, but she held off. And we see the Lord's working in that because had she not, then the very next things would not have transpired. During that delay, that night, the king Asuerus, he had insomnia. He got up and asked to review the books and he reviewed the books and saw where a man named Mordecai had reported the assassination plot. This had long happened before, and it was forgotten totally by the king. But here, being stirred from his sleep, he called for the books, and here he asked, what has been done to honor this man, Haman? And he saw that nothing had. So therefore, he called Haman unto him. Now remember, Haman is the one who hates Mordecai and is planning his demise and is building a gallows to kill him. But yet God is working behind the scenes. Haman came forward and he asked Haman, what should be done for this man? And he said, oh, put him upon the king's mule, put the king's garment upon him and let him be led of a man of the king's choosing throughout the street for his glory. Because see, Haman thought that the king was going to do that for him. So he was talking up his game, but yet the Lord said, go and do so unto Mordecai. Ooh, you know, that had to be gall in the mouth of Haman. Because there he had to go and take his uh, most hated enemy and do for that honorable thing that he had allowed come out of his mouth. So after this, Haman knew that he was condemned. And just after this had taken place, he had to be beckoned unto the supper that he had agreed to go to. And there he was condemned. There he fell before the queen, even on her bedchamber. And the king saw this and the king was enraged and the king had him executed. And then as a result of that, a brand new decree came forward that the Jews at that day, no, the, the previous decree could not be reversed because uh, in the kingdom of the Persians, that could not be, that was impossible. Now that's foolish in the land and the kingship of men, but my friends, I thank God that his decrees are irreversible and unchangeable. Amen. Well, this new decree had been allowed to be given saying that the Jews had the right to rise up and to defend themselves. And not only did they vanquish their enemies, they also prospered greater and they had uh, greater presence in the Persian kingdom and the Jewish nation was saved. Oh, my friends, we see God's providence in that, bringing them forward under the time when they would be released to be able to go back and take part in the building of this temple that we see spoken of in Zechariah chapter four. Well, it doesn't end there. My friends, we see God's working in Cyrus being brought about because see, the Jews had now been preserved and I want you to understand who Cyrus is. Cyrus is the grandson of who? Queen Esther and King Asuerus. So see, King Asuerus and Queen Esther had a child named Cambyses. 
Cambyses, their child, had Cyrus. So when Cyrus was just a small child, Cambyses died. And so after he died, when Cyrus was 12 years old, his grandparents, King Ahasuerus and Queen Esther, summoned him and his mother to come and live with them at the palace. And as a result, Cyrus is taught by Esther and the king about the Jews, about their laws, and I would venture to say even about the prophecy that had been written regarding himself by Isaiah in Isaiah 45, some 150 years before. Oh, do we not see the stamp of God over this whole process? Friends, carrying forward now unto Haggai and Zechariah's days, we see that God encouraged them and he empowered them by sending prophets to encourage them. He sent them strong leadership in Joshua and Zerubbabel. Joshua was the high priest during this time. Zerubbabel, my friends, was the, as it were, the governor over the people. We see the Lord's working even in their names. Joshua, my friends, that Hebrew name is the exact same uh, synonymous name as Jesus. It means Jehovah is salvation. Joshua at that time was there, not accidentally, but by the providence of God to show forth a type and shadow of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that Jehovah is salvation. And then Zerubbabel, what does his name mean? His name means sown in Babylon. This man had never known the old ways, the old land, the old temple, but yet Zerubbabel was the grandson of King Jehoiakim. So here was a man of nobility. He was a man who was of the seed of Judah, of the, the tribe of Judah. So there we see Joshua, who means Je Jehovah is salvation, carrying a synonymous name with Jesus. There we see Zerubbabel, uh, one, my friends, who was sown uh, in a heathen land. He was born in a strange land, a land uh, that was not his nativity. Is not this a picture of Jesus Christ, my friends, who is all God, but yet who came down to this low land of sin and sorrow, sown in Babylon, as it were, born in a manger, lived upon the sin-cursed earth for us. Oh, my friends, our Lord Christ is both Joshua and Zerubbabel. Oh, I get so very excited about these things, but we've run out of time. I'd like to go over to Acts chapter 15 in different places, but I'm not able to for time. Let me give you some concluding thoughts regarding this. Do you see the Lord has preserved this people. He was intimately involved in the prophecy and the planning and the covenant and everything needed to bring forth this temple. And our concluding thoughts today is that the Lord saw fit to act in his providence to preserve a temporal nation and a temporal temple, not because the temporal was meant to be the ultimate blessing for the elect family of God. Rather, all these were done to assure us that he will not leave his household destitute, nay, not even lacking, because the Lord my friends, we'll see that the headstone, the capstone of salvation for all of his household is lay square, even right and preserved. Friends, I'm glad to be able to worship that Lord. If you love him and believe in him today, go to his church, confess his name, baptize. We invite you to come and do so at either Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church or Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church. You do so at your earliest convenience. We'd love to meet you and love to hear you. Until we're able to speak to you again on such noble subjects, may the Lord's special grace be with you all.
If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. To find a Primitive Baptist Church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find further contact information, you can visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com. You can also find our program on iTunes under podcast entitled The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Radio Broadcast. If you listen and enjoy our program, we would love to hear from you. You may contact us by email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caledonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road, on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. We would love for you to come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We invite you to tune in again next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty roll.